I want you to take God's Word and turn with me to the book of Galatians and the second chapter this morning. I want us to focus primarily on one verse of Scripture, which is related to many other verses in God's Word. But the title of my message this morning is The Normal Christian Life. The Normal Christian Life. And the message that God brings to us in His Word is that the normal Christian life is an exchanged life. And so what I want to do is I want us to look together in Galatians chapter 2 at the 20th verse. And again, just reminding us that it's related to many other verses in Scripture. But this morning, look with me at that verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And Paul writes there, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this life that desires because you came to give your life for us. Uh, Father, thank you that uh, you did such a, a spectacular change in us through your resurrection power that you raised us up with yourself. And Father, this morning we long and desire to feel that overcoming power in our lives that is Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you go to the dictionary, you might find uh, some variations of the wording of the definition for normal. But according to the Oxford Dictionary, it defines normal as conforming to a usual or typical pattern. So I have a question this morning. According to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, are you living the normal Christian life. Now to answer that question, I think first of all, we've got to rule some things out. According to Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I think there are some things that we can say the normal Christian life is not. That's a good starting point. If you're like me, for much of my Christian life, I have had an experience that has been one where I have been up and down and all around, and I do think there's part of the Christian life that involves that that is very natural, but I want to talk just a little bit about what God has been teaching me about what the normal Christian life is not. For many Christians, the normal Christian life means comparing ourselves with others. And if you're like me, the holidays sometimes give you an opportunity to be around family members that are, well, how shall I put it politely? Odd. (laughs) 
And, and what happens is, is in our Christian life, we tend to look at other people and we look at ourselves and we say, hey man, I am not perfect, but thank God I am better than, and then you fill in the blank. And you find that this idea of comparing ourselves with other people, that whole idea of comparison is only fed by the social media craze. I mean, what we have in our society is everything that, that feeds into this comparison uh, motive, and that is uh, Facebook, Instagram. It's all based upon the number of likes you get, the number of friends you have, and you look at pictures and you look at the life somebody else is leading and you read their story and then you start thinking about your life and, and your self-worth really comes down to you're either doing a little bit better than this person or maybe you feel that you're not doing quite as well as they are doing. And so we get it caught up in this comparison thing. Well, the normal Christian life is not comparing ourselves with others. The normal Christian life is also not a roller coaster ride. Now, in your Christian life, there probably have been some times where you've had some real spiritual highs and then some real spiritual lows. And we certainly can go to Scripture and we can point out some great spiritual giants who had some highs and lows uh, in their uh, psychology and in their relationship with God, Elijah being one of the, of the greatest examples of that. But what I'm talking about is that your Christian history has, has spikes of great highs with God and then great lows with God. There, there's no sense of, of moderation in which you can maintain something consistently spiritually. And that may describe you because I know in my life there certainly has been a period of life, a long period of life, where it's been marked by these highs and these lows, and there's not been this consistency in my Christian life. If that describes you, that's not the normal Christian life. The Christian life is also not constantly succumbing to the same temptation being defeated by the same sin over and over and over again and again and again. And you know what I'm talking about there, right? We all have that area in our lives where we just go, man, Lord, wasn't I just here last Sunday? I mean, didn't we just talk about this last month? And we try and we try and we try and we give it our best, but we fail and we fail and we fail. And that's not the normal Christian life according to Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. For many Christians, the normal Christian life means no real spiritual power in our lives. Our Christian walk is a lot of self-effort. You know, if I just try a little harder. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. If I could just zero in, put it all together, and try harder, then I would be an overcomer. But this trying harder and harder, what happens is, is we become exhausted. 
on one end and frustrated at the other because this trying harder, this effort that we keep putting forth, is not bringing about the desired result. And so, frustration on the one hand, exhaustion on the other. For many Christians, the normal Christian life means taking steps forward in our walk with Christ and then stopping. Lord, I give you this. Lord, I I give you this. Lord, I give you this. But not this. I'm holding on to this one. That describes many Christians. Comparing ourselves to others, a roller coaster ride, constantly succumbing to the same temptation, no real spiritual power in our lives, taking steps forward in our surrender in Christ, and then stopping. That is not the normal Christian life according to Galatians 2.20. Now follow me closely here. But because... We are surrounded by other believers who seem to be having the same kind of experience with Christ that we're having. We tend to think, well, then that's normal. But we know it's not normal. And the reason why we know it's not normal is because the Bible says so. We know it's not normal because Scripture tells us if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. What? Old things have passed away. What? New things have come. So we long for more in our walk with Christ. Not because we've made this up as some fictitious thing, but because the Bible tells us there's more to the Christian life than what we've been experiencing. And then we go to God's Word and we... Read verses like Romans chapter 6, verse 4, which declares to us, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. We hunger for, we yearn for, we desire for that life that is spoken of in Galatians six fourteen. For sin will no longer rule over you. That's what we want. And that's what the Bible calls normal. And so this morning we think about these things and we remember the experiment of the scientist. Who placed on a stove, turning up the heat, a pot of boiling water. Anybody here working with PETA because you may want to stop up your ears before I finish this story. 
And then you take the frog and you drop it in the pot of boiling water. And you know what they found out? On every instance, the frog immediately jumped out of the pot. But the scientists conducting the same experiment placed another pot on the stove. And it had very mild bathwater type temperature. They placed the frog in it, and the frog sat in it very comfortably. And the scientists gradually turned up the heat, and the frog never jumped out. It just boiled to death. Many of us have become comfortable and satisfied with our current level of Christian living that we're like that frog in the kettle. We've become so comfortable with that acceptable way of life that we're slowly boiling to death. And we've got to jump out of the kettle. (laughs) Because if we don't, two very bad things are going to happen. One of them is we're just settled for a life of defeat. That there's no hope of things getting better. I mean, I've been working at this as hard as I can for as long as I can, as many hours as I can. But boom, 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 I just keep, it's the same old thing over and over again. We may also just say, I give up. I quit. I'll tell you something else, though, bad can happen. God has assigned us to go into the world and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we declare the good news of Jesus Christ, we declare it with the life we're living. Not just the words we speak. We don't just invite them. We invite them to the life we ourselves are experiencing. And when people constantly see us being defeated by the same sins with which they are beset, you know what happens? They don't see their need for Jesus. I mean, it's not working for you. Why do I need Jesus? I got enough problems as it is. Well, enough about what the Christian life is not. I want to talk to you from God's Word about what the normal Christian life is. According to Scripture, the normal Christian life is an exchanged life. Victory doesn't mean that one is changed. It means that one is exchanged. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now notice the change here in emphases. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. He did something 
It doesn't say Jesus is going to live for righteousness. It says that we are going to live for righteousness because he did something. For by his wounds we are healed. And so in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is this verse saying? It says... Our life is exchanged. Our life is no longer in the realm of I. Look at the verse. I no longer. It's not an evil eye changed to a good eye. It's not a filthy eye changed to a clean eye. It is I no longer. You know, my experience, like many of yours, is that we have the idea that victory involves progress and defeat involves the absence of progress. I mean, why am I not progressing? And that's why we think everything will be well if we don't lose our temper. Or if we just have a closer fellowship with God. And we think that if we have these things, you know what happens? We think we'll be overcomers. But what we have to remember is that victory has nothing to do with us. Victory is in Christ, not us. And that's the theme of Paul's letter to the Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is written with this message in mind. Jesus did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus. I want to share with you some verses that have a theme, a connection. And I want you to listen. I want you to look at these verses very closely. And by comparison, I want you to lay these verses side by side, Galatians 2.20. And I want you to find the point of commonality. Jesus speaking now. Jesus speaking. John chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus says, Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. You can do nothing without me. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 reads, Now if Christ is in you, 
The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 asserts, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you. All of these verses have one common thread. It is Christ in you. Christ in you. Let me ask you, do you sometimes have feelings of regret, shame, frustration as you think back on past attempts to make changes in your behavior? Now be honest, because I'm going to be honest, I do. I have. What God's Word is saying to us is that God has no intention for us to overcome by self-effort. Not going to happen. It's not His intention that an evil temper be changed to a good temper, that one's stubbornness be changed to meekness. God has no intention to change sorrow to joy. His way is to make an exchange of your life. It has nothing to do with us. We have the opportunity to uh, hear from one of our missionaries that we have direct connection with, with whom we support in Germany this morning. We're going to hear from them in just a moment. I'm thinking about a missionary who though he lived decades ago, a Chinese missionary named Watchman Nee wrote a book called The Overcoming Life. And when I say Chinese missionary, I mean he's Chinese. And in that book, Watchman Nee shares his walk with Christ and how frustrated he became that he was unable to make the desired changes to his life despite all of his efforts. So frustrated that he reached a point where he just cried out to God and said, God, there's more to this than I'm experiencing. And if there's not, he reached a point where he just said, I'm just going to give it up. And so Watchman Nee was counseling with a lady, a Chinese lady who had accepted Christ. And she had this sense of frustration about her. And she was talking with Watchman Nee, and she said, you know, it's easier for others to overcome. They don't come from the same background from which I come. I mean, my temper is worse than anyone else's. 
things that I've seen and I've experienced in my past have shown to me that my thoughts are more unclean, unclean than others. I'm more ill-natured than others are. I, I can't control myself. And Watchman Nee replied, You know, you're right. Not only is it difficult for you to overcome, it is impossible for you to overcome. You see, some of us have this mistaken idea that if a person is a little more honest or a little more well-tempered, that it must be easier for them to overcome than it is for us to overcome. But I say to you this morning that even a person who is gentler, even a person who is holier, even a person who is more perfect than we are, must let go and let Christ move in before he or she can overcome. It's not just the ill-tempered and the immoral who need victory. The even-tempered and the moral also need victory. And the victory is in Christ. It has nothing to do with us. Victory is not overcoming by yourself. It's Christ overcoming for you. Now, I would not trot out some idea that I have not already taken out for a test drive. I stand before you today to say what victory, what overcoming I have experienced in the Christian life is based upon the truth I'm sharing with you this morning. Because all those things that I listed about what the normal Christian life is not, I'm the poster child of all of those things. Victory's not overcoming by yourself. The kind of victory in the Bible is seen in Galatians chapter 2.20. And what does it say? It says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Christianity, the emphasis is not on us changing our lives, but us exchanging our lives. We exchange Our life of sin for Christ's life of righteousness. Man, that is the gospel. That is the good news. I mean, you talk about good news. That's the good news. It's not Jesus and me trying to help Jesus make some changes. It's Jesus in me. I died with Christ. I was raised with Christ. I'd like to 
illustrate just briefly here. You're going to you have to use your imagination just for a moment. But I'd like to illustrate for you the difference between change and exchange. You can see here, I have a Bible here that is slightly worn. But trust me, I have others that are worn out. I have a Bible given to me on my 16th birthday. The cover is like taped on there, but it's just like flapping on the side. You open it up and you'll find words that are blurred, some by my own tears, others by wrongful abuse, walking with it out in the rain and pages getting wet and words rubbing together and pages rubbing together over years so that words have vanished and some words are blurred and Here's what I could do. You know, I could get some glue. And I can glue that cover back on. I can take a pen. And I can go back in as best I can and retrace those words. Page that's torn... A little tape will do. But even after doing all of those things, I still cannot be 100% sure that I have done all of it correctly. I can do all of those things. Or, you can just hand me a new Bible. And I give you the old one. That's the difference between change and exchange. And that's what happens when we come to Christ for salvation. God exchanges our old lives of sin for his life of righteousness. Now there's no need for striving. And you ask, is it really that simple? Yes. That's the good news. That's the gospel. He didn't come to this world to be another religion. He came to establish a relationship. Religion says, me plus something makes me better, helps me get to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Even in the Old Testament, God's way is the way of exchange. Listen to Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says this, speaking about the Messiah's year of Jubilee. Just for a second, Jewish history lesson real quick. The year of Jubilee was when all of the families who had owned land, who had either mortgaged it off, lost it due to some cause, In the year of Jubilee, what would happen is is that all the land in Israel would be returned to the original family owners. 
debt would be forgiven. Speaking of the Messiah's year of Jubilee, that which is lost is restored. I want you to listen. Isaiah 61.3 says this, To provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they'll be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. You see in that verse that God's way is the way of replacement? God doesn't change the ashes. He replaces the ashes with a headdress. He doesn't change the morning. He replaces the morning with the festive oil of gladness. He doesn't say that his way is for us to change our lives, but to exchange our lives. Now, I begin a new year today as do you. And I listen to this good news and I say, praise God. That though I have not been able to change myself for all these years, God is making an exchange. This is the meaning of holiness. This is the meaning of victory. This is the life of the Son of God. From now on, Christ's meekness becomes my meekness. His holiness becomes my holiness. His prayer life becomes my prayer life. His fellowship with God becomes my fellowship with God. From now on, there's no sin too great for me to overcome. There's no temptation too great for me to withstand. Victory is Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So where do we go with this? You'll never leave where you are until you first admit where you are. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so here's the scenario. God is holy and we are sinful. And because God is holy and we are sinful... There's this Grand Canyon type chasm between us and God. And, and guess what? Not even the greatest long jumper in the Olympics can jump over the Grand Canyon. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you can't jump from that side to this side. It's hopeless. We are stuck in our sin and alienated from a holy God. Unless God does something. And God did that. God built a bridge to cross over from one side of that chasm to the other side of the chasm. He laid His Son on the cross. Jesus, the Holy Son of God, came into this world, took our sin upon Himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. What we could never do for ourselves, Jesus did for us. And Jesus was laying on that cross. And then God tipped that cross over. 
from one side to the other side of that canyon so that we could cross over that bridge by believing in Jesus who died for our sins, was raised from the dead, and that believing in Christ, we could have forgiveness if we would confess our sin. That's agree with God. God, I know I'm a sinner. Repent of our sins saying, God, I turn from my sin to Jesus. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess our faith in Him. Commit ourselves to follow Jesus. And the Bible tells us we can be forgiven and we can have our fellowship with God restored. That's the bridge to cross over. God's already done it for us. We don't have to do anything but receive Christ. Now that describes some people here this morning. It's a new year. Wow. Just think, you could start this new year totally different with Jesus as your Savior. But there's a good many of you who've already trusted Jesus. And so here we are. We're believers. What must we do? What what is my next step? Well, we read it this morning. We sang it this morning. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's the journey I'm talking about. Remember, I said all that list of things that describes what... I came to accept as being normal. I had to renew my mind in the Word and think differently. That's what the Word does. And so it begins with us renewing our minds. And what follows closely with that is, and this is my challenge to you this morning. Stop trying to add more of Jesus to your life and start acknowledging that Christ is your life. Let's pray. Let's stand to our feet, may we? Father, thank you that the picture of the Christian life is more than me just taking you by the hand and you walking beside me. It's the picture of you coming to live in me. And Lord Jesus, as Paul cried out and said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Father, that is our desire today. And I pray for that that husband, that father, that Mom, that wife, teenager, middle school or elementary, high school. For that one who came today and said, God, I really want more out of life than what I'm experiencing. 
I want Jesus to be my Savior. Would you make that your prayer today? Just, just say, Jesus, come in and save me. I know I can't save myself. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me from all my sin and come into my life and save me. You may have made that your prayer today. What a wonderful way, not only to start a new year, but the rest of your life. Father, I just thank you for the believers here who so long to walk closely with you, who, like myself, become frustrated and exhausted from all of our efforts to try to make changes in our life when you've made provision for it in exchanging your life for ours. Father, we get the part. We happily accept the exchange of you for us. But, Father, I would just confess afresh and anew that this whole idea of me exchanging my life for yours seems to be the missing piece. And a part of renewing my mind and experiencing the victory that you've promised comes in staying on that plane of thinking and not retreating into old ways. And so, Lord, I thank you today for all that you have done, finished, completed, exclamation point. And I just want to tell you today, Lord, how much I love you and I thank you. And this morning we come just to celebrate who you are. Lord, we give this year to you. Thank you that it's a gift to us. Thank you that this year your desire is to use us in even greater ways to reach our world for Christ. In whose name we pray.